0: Hello, you're listening to the 10x9 podcast. I'm Paul Doran and in 2011, Padraig and I started 10x9 in the Black Box in Belfast and we're still there every month. It's a live event where nine people have up to ten minutes each to tell a true story from their own life and we love it. Good evening, folks. Welcome to Ten by Nine with Fela for the very first time, which is a great honour for us. I'm delighted to have so many people here. Uh, it's wonderful in this fantastic venue. Ten by Nine started life in the black box in the front room of the black box in front of about 25 people in 2011. It was started by me and Padraig Tuma, and it is now we now fill the main room of the black box once a month and. We have offshoots in London, Manchester, Glasgow, Bradford, Dorset, Adelaide, two in Adelaide, two in Melbourne, one in Nashville and one in Chicago. So, Woo-hoo! And the reason I still have to work for a living is because we don't charge. <laughs> so 10 by 9 is always free. It was part of the ethos from, from when we started. We didn't think that... If we want to encourage people to tell stories, people who maybe are reluctant to tell stories, we didn't want to put a val- feel that they were that we were putting a value on their story. So that's the idea behind it. Also, we encourage people, the nervous, the reluctant, the enthusiastic but reluctant. Um, we encourage them by telling them it's fine. You can come up here, perform your story. You can tell your story with your notes, whether they're bullet points or whether you want to read your story, because. We want the stories. We're not here to see polished performers. Though we do have very polished performers, i just like him out here. The theme is the West, given where we are. It seemed appropriate, but don't expect all the stories to be about West Belfast or from West Belfast. We throw out a theme, and we let people interpret it as they see fit. Let's move on. He's first time at the 10x9 microphone. So please, big warm hand for Calvin Black.
1: I had 25 girls from the Terrace Row Girls Brigade seated in front of me, and I was about to make the one of the most embarrassing mistakes of my life. I'm from the West, you can tell. I'm from about as far west in Canada that you can possibly get. In fact, my sister sometimes looks down on me because I still live on an island an hour and a half ferry ride from Vancouver where she lives she doesn't outright say it but you can tell by the way she talks about all the cultural doodie do offerings of Vancouver oh I went to see Elton John and Georgia O'Keeffe exhibit at the gallery that doesn't sound so pretentious unless you consider that it's the answer to what I had just said which was We ordered pizza and watched Paul Blart Mole Cop. What did you do last weekend? (laughs) When you live on an island, when you're off the coast of one of the richest cultural centers in the world, you naturally feel a bit lesser than. That's why my wife and I were so excited to have an opportunity to live and to work in Europe for a year. Can you imagine it, traveling all the way from our island on the west coast to spend a year working as an associate minister in one of the up-and-coming hotbeds of arts and culture, (laughs) Rain. It was 2001 that we came over, and before you think I'm just joking, let me assure you that Colrain at the time was on the cutting edge. For one thing, we were very concerned that there wouldn't be any coffee shops comparable to the West Coast standards of a Starbucks on every corner that we were used to. But to our pleasant surprise, a new shop in the center of Col Rain, Ground, had just opened and provided acceptable lattes <laughs> and a fairly lovely setting to connect with some of the youth in our youth fellowship after the schools were out. Another innovation at the time was the cell phone. Now, back home, not many of our teens at home had their own phones, and arranging for a lift at the end of a youth activity was like auctioning off a herd of of used cows. (laughs) But not the youth fellowship in Coleraine. As soon as the night was done, the mobiles flashed out, and with seconds, mom or dad was there to whisk them away. Brilliant. There was also a chippy right across from the church. There were a few things that I did find odd, though. For one thing, no one took my word that I didn't want a second helping. (laughs) I tried to refuse. I really didn't want any more. I wasn't just being polite. But whenever my host insisted for the fourth time, I just had to give in and I definitely left more doughy than when I had arrived. Another practice that didn't seem the most progressive tradition was Boys and Girls Brigade. Don't get me wrong, there were were lots of great things that happened in the brigades and the final year campout was a great time, but I just couldn't get over the marching. I was amazed that teens would march. And would want to march. Did they really want to march? (laughs) Luckily, I wasn't required to teach them marching myself, but sometimes I joined in just for fun. (laughs) What I'd been brought there to do was to encourage their faith and knowledge of the Bible. And so for the boys and the girls' brigades, I would lead their weekly Bible lesson. The fact that 25 youth would sit through a Bible lesson at 7 p.m. on a Monday night was a little incredible to me. And I tried to do my best to make those classes interesting, drawing on props and stories and games and whatever I could think of that might connect. But of course, there were some barriers. Some of the the thicker Northern Irish accents took some time to decipher, and I was hard pressed to ever understand anything that that young richard stafford was saying in fact sometimes he would say the most provocative inappropriate things in the bible lesson because he knew that i there was no way i would be able to understand what he was saying <laughs> but the kids were patient with us and even though i'm sure it was frustrating to have someone from a different country working with you they did their best to humor us, and help us along. One night for the GB lesson, I wanted to get the girls active, and rather than sitting through a stale lesson, I wanted them to move through an obstacle course. I can't remember exactly what the point of this lesson was, but I'm sure it was deeply profound. (laughs) Something like nothing being able to separate us from the love of God seems about right. I'd come in earlier and turned over the desks and set up mats and strewn cardboard boxes about to create the course. And when it was time for the lesson, the girls filed in and found their seats in the classroom. The only problem was that uh, some of the girls were wearing skirts, and I anticipated this would be a more appropriate game for the girls with trousers on. And so as they gathered and settled in, I called their attention and told them, that I would like some volunteers to run the course, I wanted all the girls in trousers to stand, but of course I'm not from here. Where I'm from, we call trousers pants. (laughs) Pants is probably not the most sophisticated name for trousers but I'm sure that even my sister in Vancouver would have made this error. So I said to the 25 GB girls that were so innocently sitting there before me, would all the girls wearing pants please stand up? (laughs) There was a hesitation, (laughs) a few snickers, and then in unison, All the class stood up. I stood in front of the class with a puzzled look and looked to Sarah the minister's daughter to explain and she did and as I realized what I had asked them my face turned a shade of red similar to the Canadian flag. I sputtered to recover and get the class back onto the deep theological insights that we were going to encounter that night But I had a feeling that the only thing that would be remembered from this evening was this mistake. Well, thankfully you're all standing. Now that that's established, can all the girls in skirts sit down, please? The night proceeded and thankfully everyone understood the mistake and forgave the blunder. There were other mistakes and blunders that I made that year that were less memorable and less awkward, but still required a gracious understanding. That's the funny thing about being a leader. Because you're up front making the mistakes, you're often the one who requires the most forgiveness. We had a fantastic year here in Northern Ireland, learning with and leading the youth. And when we returned to Canada, some of them came over to visit us and we took them up the west coast of our island to where the Pacific Ocean crashes into rock and rainforest. We bought a home and had our children and began our careers in Canada, but our time here in Northern Ireland and with the young people in Coleraine left a lasting impression that I call a blessing because it was a gift. My sister sometimes still says things that give the impression that Vancouver is the center of the action, but I think any time you go somewhere different, any time you head east, you're bound to find gifts and graces that you wouldn't have expected. You're very welcome to visit Vancouver Island anytime, but be warned, sometimes it's cold, you'll need to bring your pants.
0: <laughs> Next up, he arrived at 10 by 9 about six months ago, and he's blown a hole in it with his amazing story. So please, a big warm welcome to Jim Livingston. Woo!
2: <laughs> Kennedy's bread, it's good to eat. Kennedy's bread, hard to beat. Kennedy's bread, quite a treat. J.B. Kennedy's bread. It's the best. That's it. <laughs> I was taking a bet with my daughter, how many people would remember the very last punchline? You have to be really old. <coughs> so my first paid job my first paid job at the age of eighteen was in West Belfast. It was a summer job in Kennedy's Bakery, Beachmount Avenue on the Falls Road, just a few months before I started Queens. I'd been on the Falls and Shankill many times before then, but usually only for shopping with my mother or visiting relatives. You see, I was born in Carmel Street 67 years ago in what is still known as the Holy Land. So this meant I was a South Belfast boy. Growing up, I became aware that the people of Belfast, quite uniquely, are divided into four camps. No, not Catholic, Protestant, dissenter, and then snobs up the Malone Road. No, we are North, South, East, or West Belfast, and that you remain for the rest of your life. Over the years, of course, there's been a little leakage from one camp to the other. By and large, by and large though, when born in one camp, you, you would probably never live in another and maybe only cross a border for work or family events. <laughs> we all own camps well, but travelling across camp borders could be risky and would only be attempted when really necessary, and only then with very careful planning. I had got to know some West Belfast boys, but not girls, from my secondary school, but never spent time in any of their homes, or indeed they in mine. So venturing into the West for a summer job as a relief van driver was a big step. Would I be accepted? Would I get lost? Would I survive in this strange land? I was only 18 and had just passed the driving test the year before, but I was gobsmacked to discover that the van that I was to drive was what I would have called a fucking lorry. <laughs> it wasn't the wee bread van that went door to door. It was a th- three-ton lorry used to deliver bulk materials to the various Kennedy bakery shops around the city and beyond, which did not require HGV license. The first day began at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and was spent with the driver, who was going off on holidays, showing me how to drive the monster Bedford up and down Beechmount, parking and reversing, and loading and unloading bakery products. He had just finished his daily shift, the one I was to take over. It started at 6 in the morning and ended at 2 in the afternoon. Happy bloody days. (laughs) I I had to walk from Carmel Snow on a Carmel Street we had, we had moved up to the strand of this by then. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I still walked Lisbon Road, Tates Avenue, Donegal Road, all the way, and uh, at five o'clock in the morning. But I discovered that the deliveries of the shops were in two runs. The first was between seven and nine in the morning before the shops opened, and the previous hour was spent loading the vans. Sorry, Laurie. Uh, sorry, van. Using a master key, I had to open the shop and deliver by myself dozens of loaves of bread. These were in large wooden trays stacked at the back of the lorry. Sorry, van.
3: <laughs>
2: then in a second run between 11 and 1 o'clock, I would deliver fresh cream buns, cakes and other fancies to the same shops. Only now with a little help from the shop staff. It was hard work, especially in that hot summer. But what about the people? Strange as it may seem, I found most of them just as friendly, helpful and nice as people in South Belfast. (laughs) I also encountered some odd ones, just like the odd ones round our way, but I quickly realised any reservations I had about crossing the border were largely unfounded, except for the jokers. The shop I had to service was up on the Glen Road, Falls Road and Chapel Lane. On my first day's run, I was about to drive out of the bakery when Johnny, one of the young bakers, with a big grin permanently on his face, ran over and shouted, Hey young lad, it's a hot day and all the shops are shut. You need a drink in the weather. Take this bottle of lemonade. Oh, thanks. That's awfully good of you, I said politely, <laughs> and stored the bottle in the seat beside me. As I drove off, I caught sight of Johnny and his mates, still laughing and jostling each other. So I smelt a rat. Off I set along the quiet road, most people not yet out of their beds to sign on to the brew. At each shop, I unloaded the bread trays, and as I started to leave for the next one, I looked longingly at the bottle of lemonade. I was getting more and more thirsty. But something told me not to risk it. I got back just after 9.30. Johnny and his cronies were waiting for me. I jumped down from the cab and nonchalantly headed for the toilet. Feeling all right, son? yeah, I'm fine, thanks. And Johnny stopped laughing. When I come out, the second shop van just arrived. It was driven by another student just like me. But this time you could hear the squeal of tyres and brakes as he came down Beechmont and skidded to a halt in the yard. The poor bugger fell out of his cab, stumbled into the toilet, not to be seen for half an hour. Johnny and the boys were in hysterics. I discovered later that the lad had also been given a bottle like me, but he drank the full contents. Somewhere down the falls road, his bowels erupted like (laughs) Mount Entenna. The bottle had been laced with a large dose of Epsom salts. Thereafter, I brought a drink with me each day and accepted no gifts. So for most of the holiday job, I kept out of trouble. Did my deliveries and enjoyed the banter with the bakers and the shop staff, who were great fun but then my real West Belfast nightmare happened. One of the shops was on the Falls Road, just around the corner from Leeson Street. Is there anybody from Leeson Street here? (laughs) Thank God for that. Right, the, (laughs) the shop girls were really nice, and because it was the last stop on the run, they would often give me a cream bun and a cup of tea. On this day, I arrived only to find a trolley bus parked right outside the shop. It had broken down apparently. Problem for me was there was nowhere to park. The lorry, sorry, van, sorry, lorry. (laughs) Priding myself in being resourceful, intelligent and problem solving as I was heading for Queen's University, I quickly surveyed the situation and took action. I turned into Leeson Street and parked the lorry, sorry, van. It was only a slightly longer walk around the corner to carry the bun trays to the shop. I went to the back of the lorry, sorry van, sorry, uh, and I quickly realised that with the lorry, sorry van, around the corner it'd be out of my sight, and I had a little concern about its safety. I don't know why. Just then, a wee lad about ten came up the street, bouncing a football. "Hey, master, give us a bun, master." I suddenly recognised a solution to my security problem. I tell you what, wee lad, keep an eye on me van. "'Well, I'll go into the shop and I'll give you two buns.' "'Get on,' he says, cried the wee boy, eyes popping. I smiled and thought, "'What a lovely wee lad.' (laughs) I struggled round the corner with the first big tray of buns, pushed the shop door open with my foot. Teresa, or Mother Teresa as we called her, the shop manager looked startled. "'Where's your fan?' I puffed as I heaved the tray onto the counter. "'Don't worry, Teresa.' I parked at Ryan and Leeson Street. I've got a wee lad watching it for me. Jesus Christ! Are you fucking mad? Come on! And she charged out the door, round the corner. We got to the lorry, sorry, van, sorry, lorry, just in time to find my wee security lad had found six security assistants who were tearing down the street each with a tray of buns, (laughs) screaming, Mommy, 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 I've got buns, I've got buns. (laughs) Teresa looked at me as if I was the stupidest being she had ever met. Well, we can forget about those buns for today, Mr. Jim. Later, I went back to the bakery and spoke to Hugh Kennedy, one of the owners, and made a fulsome apology. He listened and patted my shoulder as if I were a lost village idiot. (laughs) Next time, Jim, just fucking double park like all good van drivers.
0: <laughs> okay, that's it from the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and check out the website for more info on 10x9 and check the events page for everything coming up in 2020. Our theme tune comes from the Free Music Archive and is by Fantastic Swimmers, while our incidental music is by Brent Bourgeois and we got that at Facebook Signs. A big thanks to everyone who keeps 10x9 going, the wonderful people at the Black Box, all our wonderful live audiences wherever we are, and of course, a big thank you to you for listening. We'll have another podcast for you soon, but for now, bye-bye.